So today's summer soundbite. First John 4, 8 says, But anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is, can everyone say with me, love. Turn to somebody and tell them, God is love. Shout to the room next to you. Roll down your window on the highway if you're driving, listening to this, and scream at somebody on the freeway. God is love. Put that fist down, that special finger that you have for people in traffic. There's two sections of what we're going to talk about today. We're going to have the breakdown and we're going to have the shakedown. Breakdown, I'm going to give you some context. We're going to ask some journalistic questions, okay? Who was speaking? Why were they speaking? We're going to get context of this passage. Then we're going to talk about the shakedown. The shakedown is where the enemy has really got us shaken down. He's lied to us, and we are probably moving uh, in the wrong direction. And most of the time, slightly off, but enough that over the long haul, we end up miles away from what God actually intended. So we're going to deal with that shakedown, and we're going to find the truth. Here's the breakdown. First John 4, 8 said, Anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. Who was speaking in this scripture? The author of this book, his name is John. John wrote the book of John. He also wrote 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. What I love about John is, is the way that he wrote. And in this case, he was writing for the purpose of giving instruction to the church there was about 60 years that had passed between Jesus' death and resurrection and where John is writing this book. So 60 years prior to him writing this, there's the experience, the physical manifestation experience of the cross. So what that means is the people that would have been around were there literally standing at the cross watching Jesus die or they were that six degrees of separation, there were a couple degrees of separation away from this. Now, what's awesome about this is the closer you are to an experience, the greater ability you, ha- you have to hold on to the power and the profound truth of it. I would liken it to this. We've had some things happen in our country, specifically, I think about 9-11, when we were in the middle of 9-11, if, if, if you remember this, I remember exactly where I was. I remember exactly who called me and told me to turn on my TV. I remember exa- like how old my kids were. I can picture myself standing in my living room, right? The, the little house that Shander and I lived in and South Oceanside. And I will tell you though, the further away we've gotten from that experience, some of the things that, that became true in my life Sometimes the things that you go, ah, this really matters most, begins to fade as you get further away from the experience. So you need a reminder. John is there to remind the people who are part of the group of followers, we call the church, to remind the people in the church, hey guys, we can't can't lose what happened at the cross. Why was he having to address this? Because there was some debate about Jesus, specifically when it came to false teachings. So in that 60-year period, there was people who joined the church and people who unjoined the church. There were people who said yes to Jesus and then people said, no, not really to Jesus. There were people that said yes to Jesus and the cross. And there were people that said yes to Jesus and the way that I, I perceive things. So what was happening at this time was there were false teachers 
that were not preaching the love of Jesus through the cross, through Jesus crucified, they were preaching a good news that came down to humanity's ability to be enlightened with knowledge because if you were more enlightened and you had more knowledge about who Jesus was, you then could find yourself equal with Jesus. Knowledge equaled where I sit with Jesus. But the truth was, is that where you sit is not predicated on what you know, but who you know. Let me say it this way. Our knowledge means less in terms of information than the transformation that we only find at the cross through Jesus Christ. And so John is saying, he brings this issue of love into the discussion. This book, in this chapter, wasn't really written about love. It was written about the false teachings that were taking place. And John says, you will know someone who's not teaching the real truth because they're not loving the way that Jesus Christ loved through his sacrifice on the cross. They're highly informed but they're not living a transformed life. Isaiah 55, eight says, my thoughts are nothing like your thoughts, says the Lord. I don't really need to explain that too much. Pretty, pretty plain. It goes on to say, and my ways are far beyond anything you could imagine. It's, it's the idea that you and I in all of our humanity, no matter how enlightened we become, no matter how much information we gain, that if you could imagine your ways and understanding how God works, if you took your imagination and then you went outside the boundaries of your imagination to another realm of potential imagination, God's ways lie beyond that. Like how he operates and how he thinks is so far different than humanity. And knowledge was made God in context for John. And he's saying, you, you don't need enlightenment, you need eternal life. Now, what's the point? Followers had made the critical mistake of placing importance on knowledge or enlightenment as a higher state of spirituality. Over the humble state of knowing the love of Jesus as Christ crucified for our sins. John is simply saying, you're willing to fight to be informed while you fail to be transformed. And the sign of transformation is your love. Now, what's the shakedown? Most often when I hear this scripture utilized, especially in 2021, this is how it's being used. God is love, therefore love is the goal. Love's the goal, man. Like heavily weighted to one side. What do you think the number one subject written about in songs? All you need is... 
most famous songs in the world have to do with love. This feeling, this pleasurable thing that we get, like, it's insatiable. Why? Because we were made for it. Now, I'm going to break this down because I want us to understand what the word love is. And before I do this, I, I just, I just want to lay some groundwork to say this. I'm going to be utilizing uh, Greek language when I describe this to you. I'm not utilizing Greek because Greek is biblical. So if you're listening today and you're like, I don't even know Jesus. I don't believe in Jesus. I don't even follow God. And so I, I don't want you to discount what I give you as, as terminology out of the Greek because you see Greek maybe as the language of the Bible. Greek is the language of people that are from Greece. So happens that the New Testament, a lot of it was given to us in Greek. And I want to separate the two. The other thing that I want to say is language is very important because when it comes to the English language, we've neutered and neutralized and made vanilla a lot of words. And I'm going to use love as an example. We love a lot of things. In the English language, we just say love. Love is love. We just say, I love the weather in Southern California. I love the beach. I love my new hair color. I love my nails because I just got my nails did. And I love shopping at this place. And I love him. I love her. I love this food. I love this sports team. We've employed the word love to a variety of objects, people, but we use the same word and what happens is we lose some of the depth and the profound nature of what this word love really means. So I'm going to give you some description in, in the Greek to help us understand the deeper understanding that I think God is trying to give us here. The first thing that I want to read to you, but anyone who does not love, but anyone, that means that this scripture is talking about you and me. This is not talking about God loving. This is this anyone is you and me. Anyone who does not love. It's our ability or inability to love. This word love comes from the root word agape. Now I'm going to get to, maybe you've heard of that word. I'm going to get to that word in a second because it's important. We have to understand that word. But I want you to understand what anyone, you and I are doing when we love. We're doing something called agape, agapeo. It's the same word with an O. It, it's the verb tense. We're verbing when it comes to love. Anyone who does not verb love, actionable, show me. It's not, I love you. And like, agapeo, show me. There should be an active response and, and, and the scripture is saying, and let me, let me give you this description, it's action taken from being loved. That you love, in this passage, what John's saying is you're loving because you were loved. Let me give you a deeper understanding of this. It says that God is love. So you're loving because you were loved by who? God. And it says God is love. Now this word love is Agape. It is a noun. Did you know that you and I can't noun love? You can't and I can't embody be the noun of love. We can only be the verb of it. God is the noun, the person, place, or thing, if you remember English, right? Noun. 
he is, his nature is. And by the way, love is only one piece of God's nature. It's not all of who he is, while at the same time it is all of who he is, but there's all these other facets to who he is. And God is love, he's agape. Now let me give you the description of agape in the Greek. It, it's the essence of which sacrifice for the benefit of another is given. So what it's saying is that God is in his own person, he is love, and in his own person, he can't help. He releases and reproduces love. And this love is sacrificial. It costs something. It's a bit painful, but it's for the purpose of giving, and it's sacrificial love. And I love Haley. She preached a couple weeks ago. She smashed it. You can go back and listen to her message on YouTube. She describes agape love as this. Now I'm going to add my little bit to the end of this because I think there's some importance to what I'm going to add to it. But she described agape as it's that which calls the other toward the higher good. And I said of their origin. Here's why I say that, that you have an original design. God purposed you And if you take us back to our origin, when God created you, you were designed with a specific purpose. There's an original design for you. Unfortunately, you can take a hammer and use it for just about anything and call it good, but it doesn't mean you're using it for what it was originally designed for. And I think where we're living in society right now is people are running around outside of the origin of their design because we're void of understanding and knowing who God is, truly knowing who he is and meeting him at the cross. So we're working and we're, we're living, but we're living outside of what I would call this encompassing life of our original design. And it works, it's just not what you were designed for. Are you getting it? It could be good, but it's just not what God created you for. And it says that anyone who does not love doesn't know God. We have to know what this word know means. If I said to you, do you know your address? How many of you know your address here? Do you know your, where, where you live? Awesome. That's great information to have. Did you know that you could, I could say to you, hey, DM me on Instagram and tell me your address because I want the information. And now I'm informed. Now we're both informed. We both know where you live. But something changes when you say, here's the information of where I live. Now I'm I'm inviting you into a community by coming into my home. And if you asked me, hey, Pat, do you know where Jax lives? I could say on two fronts. I know informationally, but I know from an experience, experientially. I, I, I know because I've been there. I know because I've experienced that place. So this to know God is not to be informed by God. Did you know that our goal here is that you you not leave, ever leave anything that we're doing where you're just merely being informed by God, informed about God. That what happens is I want you to have an experience and an encounter where you come into the home of God. And in this case, John is talking about the cross 
that you would have an experience for the benefit of you given through God's sacrifice in his son Jesus Christ that you would know, you would gnosko is the Greek word. You would, you would experience his love. You would experience him and it wouldn't just inform you but it would transform you. It changes our relationship when you come into my home or I come into your home. We now know each other. Here's the problem. This to me, what I just described to you is profound in nature. But humanity has made it really has made it all about love. So what humanity has said, culture, the world, society, you can use whatever word you want. What we've said is that this is all about love. When it should be about God, who is a God of love. So we're now, humanity is now pursuing love over God. Much like John was dealing with when culture was pursuing knowledge and enlightenment over the experience of the cross and knowing Jesus and Jesus Christ crucified. So it sounds a little bit like this. If God is love, then it's all about pursuing love. If God is love, then however I receive love, from whomever I receive love, at whatever cost it, it comes at, that I receive love, because it's about me receiving love. If God is a God of love, then however I receive love, therefore God must be okay with it. Even if it means me living contrary to his original design for me. This is where we stand right now in society. I, I would simply say this. We could make this scripture. Love is God. Rather than God is love. Meaning we've taken love and we've taken Jesus off the cross and we've removed the cross from the conversation and we've just said us receiving love love is our God and so because love is our goal like love is everything Pat and love is love I saw this bumper sticker there he said love is love and I thought no because what it's implying is all love is created equal isn't that what that implication is? Sorry, I, I, I walk logically and linearly through some of these thoughts. And at that point, I read this and I go, no, that's not true. I just want you to know, all love is not created equal. Why can I say that? Because God is the person of love that in his glory, in his illumination, in the brightness of who he is, 
as he shines his love on us, as he did through his son Jesus Christ on the cross, we become the reflection of the noun. We're able to verb the noun. So my love is not equal to God's love. It's only a reflection of what he reproduces. Are you with me this morning? Second Corinthians eleven thirteen says, these people are false prophets. Now, this is a guy named Paul who's writing this letter. He's writing it through a ch- to a church. And the people of this part of, of society lived in a place called Corinth. And so they're called the Corinthians. And so Paul is writing this letter much like John was to address some things. This is, there's been some time between Jesus' death and resurrection. And when Paul writes this, and they're dealing with the same problem. People teaching a false narrative. He says, these people are false apostles. An apostle is a builder. These are the people that were going out and building the church. And they were preaching a message that was false. Now listen to what was happening. They are deceitful workers who disguise themselves as the apostles of Christ. But I am not surprised. Even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. Now why is this important because I want you to know that one of the number one things that Satan tries to do is he attempts to sabotage your understanding of true love by giving you a shallow, fleeting, counterfeit substitute called lust. How many of you love sugar? Here's the deal. Humans, we crave it. We need it. Right? You need sugar. I can give you lots of reasons why you need sugar. However, lots and lots and lots of sugar is going to be damaging to your body. Sugar in and of itself, if you just eat sugar raw, it acts like sandpaper in your veins. And it starts rubbing on the inside of your veins. And, and you end up having heart problems. You end up developing some other issues. You get diabetes, right? So you guys with me? So what we've done is we said we need a substitute that's a counterfeit to sugar. So we've developed like all these other like stevias and aspartame, all these other things. Here's what I realized the first time that I tasted any of these substitutes. It momentarily cured my desire and thirst for the sugar, but it left a bad aftertaste in my mouth. And not only that, this is science, by the way. You can just, Rabbi, Google this yourself. The substitutes are more harmful than the real thing. The problem is our inability to have the discipline to control our desire and not overindulge because we seek to please ourselves so much. So I just want more sugar. We trick ourselves into thinking if we eat the substitute, we can eat it at any quantity and it's okay. We've tricked ourselves into thinking that we can deal with the substitute of love that Satan has given us called lust and we can eat it and devour it at any quantity and it has no effects on us. This is where we stand right now in society. This is proven. Let me define for you what lust is. Now, as I define this, I want you to understand that lust is the counterfeit of God's original design of love. I also want you to know something. Satan cannot create anything. Satan does not have the ability to create. 
Satan can only counterfeit what God has originally created. This is important. He can pervert, skew. He can, he can say, well, this is true, but it's not 100% truth. And the best lies are the ones that have some true nature to it, but aren't the truth. This is what lust is. Any strong desire directed toward an object. Now, that means lust can be directed toward anything. Specifically, I will tell you that the biggest area of lust is when it comes to like our flesh, it just being loved, feeling like I have the pleasure of someone who is giving me what I need. Mike and Julie Shecker, they, Julie's our executive pastor here and her and Mike have been faithful servants of Jesus for years. And they do an awesome premarital workshop and program with people in our church that want to get married and they began to scale this. And so there's other couples now that are leading this and they have this brilliant description. So there's a week, if you're a premarital couple, that they just talk about sex. And in this portion of their premarital, this is how they describe lust and love. And I thought it was brilliant, so I'm going to appropriate it. Lust is the selfish desire to meet your own needs. Lust is the selfish desire to meet your own needs. Love is the, sacrifice, the sacrificial desire to meet the needs of the other person. Lust says, what do I get? And love says, what do I give? And isn't that what agape is? The essence of it is sacrifice. So here's how you know if you're dealing with love or lust. If it's a get, you may need to question whether or not that's really love. Here's the problem though. Lust allows us to get pleasure for our own good rather than our love giving purpose to the higher good of the other person's original design. So we end up in this perpetual cycle where it's just about what are you gonna give me? And the other person in the relationship is thinking about what am I gonna give them? And none of us are stepping in and saying sacrificially for the benefit of the other person and not just for the benefit of pleasing you because that's just meeting your, your lust desire with lust. But love is when I meet your need that calls you to the higher good and purpose that you were designed for. There are lots of things that we could do in our communities. Haley just talked about loving these kids in San Marcos Elementary, and, I, and I, I love that. But I think there's something important for us to understand. I don't think our job is to be socially just and feed people's natural and physical hungers void of feeding their spiritual need and giving them Jesus and the cross. We have to hold that intention. I found this fascinating to me. I read this article. There's a young social media influencer. She's from Poland. And she became the first person to sell her digital love as what's called an NFT. Is anyone familiar with what an NFT is? Non, Non-fungal token. <laughs> yeah, there's a few people. Has anyone heard of Bitcoin? More people. Cryptocurrency. Okay. NFT is kind of in that same world. 
An NFT is, is fascinating because what it allows you to do is own something that's unique and it has, a, it has a thumbprint. And no one else can own what you own. It, it actually cuts down on the counterfeit issue. So if I sold you a piece of art as an NFT, you would be the only owner and it can't be manipulated because of the technology that they use. So this girl figured out how to sell her digital love as an NFT. She's the first person to do it. For how much money do you think? $250,000. Someone is going to be walking around with this NFT in, in their crypto wallet. They own something. But like, what can you do? Like, and this is her statement. Can I, I'm going to read you this quote. I'm going to read you her quote. And then I'm going to read you the author's quote of the article. Now, to be fair, I want you to know something. This publication and the author, not Christian as far as I know. Nothing. There, this is just, this was me reading through the tech news. Interesting tech things going on in the world. Okay. This is what she said. I want to be an innovator. And I want to create the future. So I was the first person in the world to tokenize emotions. She goes, physical love, platonic love, digital love may be different, but each is real in the same, in the same way as all of our thoughts and our feelings. What she's saying is, is that love is predicated on what you think and how you feel. And that's your compass. That leads you to what's right. And I want to tell you something, your feelings and your emotions, they're fleeting We've bought into this idea of romance in our culture and, it, it, and culture is selling us heavily on this. And she says, I'm gonna be the first, I wanna be the innovator. So what she's saying is she wants to be the innovator of counterfeiting love. But I just established for you who the originator was, Satan. So she's not innovating at all. She's counterfeiting the original counterfeiter and selling it for $250,000. So it's not even like you got a fake $100 bill. You got a fake $100 bill made off of a fake $100 bill. Hello. This is what the author says. He goes, yeah, that's easy for someone who bags money for love. Doesn't deal with real difficulties of a quote unquote real relationship. And this was the profound part to me. And is not a giver in the real sense of the term. What is this author saying? Love is predicated on sacrifice. And this is not love at all. In fact, he goes on to say, have we moved to the, have we finally arrived at a place in society when we're emotionless and love, if you will, is now a commodity to be bought and sold? My answer is, I think we've moved past that a long time ago. And here's what I know. I know there's a God who loved you as the noun love. He verb loved you by sending his son, Jesus Christ to reconcile what was broken in your relationship with him, but to also reconcile where you may think you're at and who you are back to what he originally designed you for. And when you understand your original design, I'm going to use this word. That means you have right identity. Right identity allows you to live with right intimacy. 
Why don't you join me in standing this morning? We've been talking about 1 John 4, 8 this morning. Just after that, in the very next verse, 1 John 4, 9 says, God showed how much he loved us by sending his son and his only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. This is real love. What is real love? Can I tell you this morning, it is impossible in my humble opinion of my 48 years of living life and chasing lust and chasing love and finally settling on the fact the only place I'm going to find love is at the cross because of Jesus Christ. Based on the knowledge that I've gained and what I do understand, the little bit I do understand about who God is and what scripture tells me, this, this is how this practically applies to me. And I would suggest to you today that it is impossible to understand true love without understanding true sacrifice. And it is impossible to understand true sacrifice without understanding the truth of the cross. close our eyes here this morning. John in this passage is saying, hey family, we know those who are teaching around us by their love. Because they maybe have experienced the perfect transformational love of Jesus and now they reflect the perfect transformational love of Jesus that can only be found at the cross. The question is, where are you at in relationship to the cross? That our goal for you is that you walk into a life where God transforms all of those dark areas and all those ways that the enemy has gotten in and tried to rearrange our original design. And God is calling you back to your original design and back to the origin today. And it's done so at the cross. And this is what I know about my own life. With your eyes closed, I know that each one of your lives you're on a journey in understanding this. So am I. The moment we come in contact with Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ crucified at the cross, he transforms everything. But he also starts us on the process of transformation. And I want you to know we don't arrive it's not knowledge to be gained. It's not an increase in our spiritual IQ. It actually has to do with our proximity to Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ crucified. So this is what I'm saying. We should live then a life that is constantly pressing us toward Jesus and Jesus Christ crucified. So the closer I get to the cross, the more that I know this sacrificial agape love that he has for me. The more that it reconciles the things that are tense inside of my heart that I'm dealing with. And the more that I begin reflecting 
what only God can release. Come, Lord Jesus, right now. Just come with your love right now, Lord Jesus. God, let us experience the sacrificial essence of the cross here this morning. That you would, you would not push, but you would draw us with your love and your kindness and your gentleness. You would draw us in one step closer. One step closer to you. One step closer to the cross. Today, maybe you, you're saying, God, reveal where I am at in relationship to the cross. But here's the challenge. I, I want to make this really easy. Our goal is I want to make like really easy on-ramps. I call these Eeyores, easy on-ramps. Right now, as your heart is willing, ask Jesus to move you one step closer to the cross by knowing him more. By the way, you can do anything one time. You can, you can take one step toward anything. So right now, just ask, say, Jesus. And if you want, you can just pray this with me. You can just ask this with me. Say, Jesus, just move me one step closer. Move me one step closer to the cross. One step closer to knowing you more. Now, I'm going to encourage you, family, to take advantage of one of these easy on-ramps. Now, this is really how simple it is. You begin to understand why we do what we do and the function of it. Go to our YouTube channel. Grab a hold of our daily devotionals that we do daily. Utilize them. Download the YouVersion Bible app. Spend one minute. I'm all about doing things in one minute. Easy on ramps. Spend one minute reading scripture at the beginning of your day. These are easy on-ramps. Do what I call the one-minute the one minute meetup. It's when you just spend one minute praying with God every day. It's a one-minute meetup. Hey, God, I'm meeting up with you. Today, move me one step closer to you. I, I, need, I need a deeper revelation and understanding. One step closer to the cross, one step closer to you. Join a group Bible study here at the church. Here's the easiest of easy on-ramps. Join weekly at a Sunday service, either by showing up on campus or showing up on our online campus. Create the habit. You can do anything one time. You can do anything one time a week. But I'm telling you, there is a love that you and I need to experience that we can only experience as we move closer to Jesus and the cross. If you need prayer this morning, you're on our online campus right now. You can just say, hey, I need prayer. Our stream team is going to actually take you offline and they're going to be able to pray with you, which is awesome. If you need prayer this morning in the room, don't hesitate to come forward. Uh, we're, we don't want to counsel you. We just want to come alongside you and just pray with you. As I believe God is moving you. Jesus is calling you home. Take one step closer to him one step closer to the cross. Let us know your perfect love for us. In Jesus' name.
perfect and wonderful name everyone said. Amen and amen. 